Welcome back to He's Dead Jim. We're watching Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome the wonderful Emily Lind. Hello. How are you, pal? I am okay. I have a nice glass of red wine. We're almost, almost through the first season of this show. I know, we've almost done it. Oh my god. Can you god. believe this is this has finally happened? <laughs> 30 episode seasons. I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so each year we've got two seasons to go and each one gets gradually a little bit shorter and i think we've figured out how to drive this podcast so yeah i'm looking forward to that and today we've got probably the best episode ever it's fantastic yeah very, like very excited probably the best regarded episode of any of the star trek series absolutely uh, on slightly unrelated matters, but uh, I just saw pop up in my tweets this morning a tweet from the Alamo Draft House um, that said, talking about the new Captain Marvel movie, it's a, this is a good news tweet, good news story. It said, you all can keep messing around with the IMDb and Rotten Tomato scores, and we'll just be over here enjoying movies, having fun, and being kind to one another. And the tweet they've retweeted about being kind to, another, to one another is one from Emily Lind. Uh, so, Emily, you were tell us about you were out and about seeing Captain Marvel. Yeah, I was seeing Captain Marvel on the Alamo Draft House. For those who don't know, they're, they're they have a bunch of locations in the U.S., but they're not like AMC or Regal or anything. You know, they're in maybe like five or six cities, but they're one of those movie theaters where they serve a full menu and drinks and like they come and bring you food during the movies and it's the only place I go to see movies if I can avoid going anywhere else because of course they're just awesome but also they they kick people out for talking or using their phones but anyway they have assigned seating and I what I guess happened is this woman and I must have bought our tickets at exactly the same time and it screwed up the system because I ended up they had a big group of maybe like eight or nine people and I somehow ended up in between them and so they asked me if I'm they, you know I, I got there about half an hour beforehand I had ordered some food I gave them my credit card already because they'll they'll swipe it in the beginning and then you know bring you the check at the end so you don't have to dig through your wallet during the movie and a little bit before the movie starts this woman comes up to me and she's like hey do you mind switching seats because we have this big group and I'm like, it's a, it, like, I have no problem with it as long as the waiter can, you know, change my stuff over. And, you know, they talked to her. It was no problem. And so I I only moved two seats over. It wasn't like I was suddenly stuck on the aisle. But when they drop off the checks partway, like, towards the end of the movie, I look at it and there's a note that says, oh, this woman paid for your bill. That's wonderful. Just because I, like, moved two seats over. There are good people in the world. Yeah. That's so good. So meanwhile, there's a certain group of disenfranchised men um, complaining about a movie where the hero is a woman. And meanwhile, there's lovely people just enjoying going to the movies and being kind and thoughtful of one another. That's a wonderful story. Yeah, she picked, like, in my, like, I mean, you know, it's like what you'd expect from movie theater restaurant. My bill was, like, probably, like, 35 bucks or something like that for pizza and one cocktail so i'm like you know what that's awesome and now i'm i'm going to do something good with that money i think i think that's money i need to donate to something 
Wow. That's such a good story. It's so lovely to check Twitter and see it for once not be an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> you know, I think that thing is it was it was such a relatively small thing on both of our ends. I mean, first of all, I don't expect anything for trading two seats over with somebody. And, you know, like buying somebody's dinner, like it's like look at like that's a cool thing to do, but it's nothing like a huge life changing thing. It's just like Oh, small things really do matter. Yeah, that's it. And the knock-on effect of yeah, some guy, some dude that knows you in Australia reading that and thinking, oh, that's nice. What a nice that's way a, to what, start the you, weekend. How did you see that? I think I saw I saw your Twitter feed. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, and I also why thought are you following draft us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably told that back to front, but anyway, I thought, oh, cool, an anecdote for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Emily, we're joined by a very special guest, a, a wonderful friend very of ours, special. Our, our first ever guest on He's, Gen- He's Dead Jim and a, a wonderful supporter of our podcast. Uh, please I get to w- meet her in a month. Oh, so exciting. All the way from that geek pod, please welcome our wonderful friend, Catherine Neen. Yay. Yay. Good morning, Catherine. Or afternoon. (laughs) Or afternoon. That's right. It is afternoon for you guys. Or evening. Or evening, Emily. We cover all times. And all points in space. Which is very appropriate for today. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, So all the way back when uh, you first came on our show, uh, we talked about your favourite episodes. And, of course, The City on the Edge of Forever came up. And uh, we said we'd have to have you back on for that. And uh, did you think this day would finally come? I, I was surprised that you held on to it for me because I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just me. And you've had like Demi Lardner on, like big deal. And yeah, you've kept this really special episode for me, so I'm really touched. How, so thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. How could we not hold on to it for you? You're an absolute champion. Uh, and, um, of course, sometimes it takes me two or three weeks to get an episode out. So <laughs> it's taken, it's literally taken us a year to get through the first series. Um, but it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. Yeah, it's, it's been great fun from my end, um, watching it and then listening to you to talk about it. It's been really good fun. So currently on my Netflix you know, previously watched, there's just a few things. There's Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek the Original Series. So. <laughs> nice. So good. Um, and thank you so much. We always get lovely tweets from you and emails and, and you're always, yeah, you're often, you know, ahead of us watching the next week's episode. <laughs> and this is a good reminder, oh, man, I should be working on my podcast. Uh, but, you know, it's all... It's all Always so lovely to, to hear from you. You're a huge supporter of us. Oh, thank so thank you. you so much. Um, Catherine is one of my very favorite Twitter people. Awesome. Yeah, well, you two are my my favorite Twitter people, both of you. Um, that's the only reason I go on there. Normally I'm terrified of it. <laughs> how weird is it that we all know each other, well, know each other in quotations or whatever, because of Steel Saunders? Yeah, that's right. Um, so Steel, of course, hosts the... Or hosted the comedy podcast I Love Green Guide Letters. I think that's how we we all started to get to know one another from 
following that on Twitter and Facebook. And then, of course, Steel started the, the Star Wars podcast, Steel Wars, which if you listen to this show would listen to. And then it's it's flown on from there. So I wonder how many podcasts um, Steel has, in a way, been indirectly responsible for. Yeah, the, the Steel podcasting few... universe is huge. <laughs> I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why this exists. That's why Cantabite Dispatch exists. That's, oh, that's also why How Zanny exists, because that's how I met Charlie, is because he listened to Steel Wars. That's amazing. And I've, yeah, I've met, like, so many friends from like going to live podcasts and stuff and it's amazing that sort of people you got so much in common with and just love to hang out with and chat about the cool stuff that you're all into it's um it's amazing it's amazing how one guy can sort of build that awesome community so thank you steel so thank you steel you know i'm i'm very lucky i'm being in melbourne i've had a lot of live podcasts and things so i've gotten to know people really well and you know they're you know some of my best mates now and so we'll be meeting up in Chicago renting an Airbnb together and and tearing the town up fantastic so that that's you got about a month to go before you all meet up yeah yeah so exciting yeah so what are what are the talk us through the Chicago plans what's happening when you land in Chicago? (laughs) I mean, when I landed in Chicago, I mean, first of all, like I grew up in Indiana about three hours outside of Chicago. So I've been there a lot, but not for, Jesus, probably about 20 years. That's where we did for like after prom in high school as we took the train over to Chicago. But. Oh, nice. And what do you do in Chicago after prom? We walked around the city and we just sort of, because I mean, we're, you're not really old enough to do anything else. So we walked around and we went to things and then my friend Kyle and I got lost and I pretty much had a panic attack and we had to stop and ask a cop how to get back to the train. <laughs> so that was a fun experience. But <laughs> for um for celebration, like, you know, like my plan is I'm getting to Chicago on tuesday afternoon celebration starts thursday so because i also have a big group that's has a big airbnb and so we're gonna you know meet several people at the airport then we're gonna go over and we're gonna shop for the house and then wednesday is pretty much like go around chicago i'd really like to go to the aquarium because shed aquarium is amazing so i'm hoping i can get a group to do that oh cool yeah, I love that when you meet up with like groups for like fun stuff like podcasts and things, but then the the offshoot activities we all hang out and do stuff. So much fun. Uh what are what are your what are your biggest hopes for Chicago, Catherine? Have you got any exciting um excursions you wanna undertake? That is surprisingly unplanned for me. Good um, way to be. Oh, I'm not usually like that. That's the thing. I'd love to see some Ferris Bueller sites. Nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> when do you My get in? movie. When do you get in, Catherine? I, I get in the Wednesday. Okay. Full. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the afternoon. I think um, the other Melbourne people were all getting in on the Wednesday 
fairly close together actually and then going to our Airbnb, which is now close to your Airbnb. So Yay. Yay. Yeah. We had our first Airbnb cancel on us. Oh, oh that's, that we had. that's so much stress. I can't even think about it. It makes me sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, especially as the day that we got our celebration tickets, I was on Messenger with um, Josh and Andy going, okay, what are we going to do about accommodation? And Josh is like, it's okay. Come to my house tonight. We'll book something. And we did it. And then in January, they cancelled on us. So we were able to find something um, for roughly the same amount of money closer to where you all are. So in the end, it sort of worked out. That's how I'm looking at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so exciting. So you just mentioned, yeah, like it's awesome. So many pals that you're going to get to hang out with. So exciting. Uh, my um, references of Chicago are probably a little bit out of date, so I figure there's you got to tick off deep dish pizza and then... Yeah, that's not out of date. Not out of date? Okay, so that's still cool. And then go and hang out with Oprah and Gail. Okay, slightly out of date. <laughs> and that's the extent of my Chicago knowledge. <laughs> Come on, not even like Blues Brothers or anything? Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. I just oh, oh there you go. I just think of that as generic American city. No, 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 no. Oh man. Okay, sorry everybody. That's I'm going to Belushi's coming out. Belushi and I think Aykroyd are both coming out of Second City. Oh wow. Okay, I'll be. Um, that's my homework for this week is rewatch the Blues Brothers, and not the sequel. Not, not. the sequel. That's terrible. Even though I do like Paul Schaefer. Apparently he missed out on the first one because he had a bit of a had a bit of a falling out with Belushi or something. So he just got the is back in the good books and got on the like the band tour or whatever after the movie. Okay, I don't really remember that second movie at all. I know, and and I say that like John Goodman is one of my favorite actors. I fucking love John Goodman. That movie is trash. Yeah, I'd much prefer to watch um, King Ralph. I nearly said wreck it, Ralph. <laughs> also good. Not John Goodman, but very good. But I no, King Ralph. King Ralph is one of those movies that I know is not actually good, but holds a very special place in my heart because we watched it a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. I think it's the same thing. It must have been, you know, like one of the networks here had a deal where they'd screen it every second week. And John Goodman is one of the most likable actors on the planet, I think. He's great, isn't he? He's like he's, the anti-Roseanne. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I It's one of those sort of inexplicable things where I go, I, I don't even know why he's so charming. I can't pinpoint what it is. Like, he's talented, but beyond that, you just watch John Goodman and you go, I want to have a beer with that dude. Oh, yeah. He just seems like the nicest guy. Yeah, he's great. And a good Fred Flintstone. Yes, in a terrible movie, but he is Fred Flintstone. <laughs> like, he just is. Like, if you imagine yeah, Fred yeah. Flintstone in human form, it's John Goodman. John Goodman is every bowling dude character. Yes. Everyone that likes bowling. <laughs> yeah, not and not just because of Lebowski, just because that's who he is. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh yeah, we do a Star Trek podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> not should the do this. John Goodman podcast. Although I would be tempted. <laughs> <laughs> now, Catherine, um, John Goodman ever in a Star Trek episode? See, oh, I'd like to see that. Man, he'd be great. Yeah, as an admiral or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it has to be something powerful. Wing. He could be like that Western yes. character, but in Star Trek. He could be one oh, of those sick. one of those jackass admirals that was all over Next Generation. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, that'd be good. Okay, we better crack on with this episode. And and Catherine, I know you haven't done our our new meritocracy quiz. So if we've got time, I might um, see if we do that at the end. But let's let's crack yeah. on with this awesome episode. Yeah. Uh, so we watched The City on the Edge of Forever, which is a fantastic episode. Um, I would suggest to anybody, if you haven't seen this episode, stop this podcast now and go and watch it. Yes. Uh, it's uh, episode 28 from season one or episode 29 on Netflix. It's the second last episode of the season. And it originally aired on April 6, 1967 on NBC. Uh, I didn't catch the star date, but we spend most of the episode in 1930. And uh, it was directed by Joseph Pevney. Greetings. This is the ship's computer cutting in here with an edit point because Mick got the list of writers wrong in his notes. What a dumbass. This episode was written by famous science fiction author Harlan Ellison as well as series regulars DC Fontana, Gene L. Kuhn and Stephen W. Karabatsis. The final show is very different to Harlan Ellison's screenplay, which is a source of conflict and controversy. Emily will explain later in our first ever Drunken History segment. Asterisk. We'll talk about it after we talk about the rest of the episode. Okay, so I, I know there was a like there's a final rewrite from Gene Roddenberry. Well, also it was well. No, we'll get. I'll get into it. I'll get into it because I looked into okay, it. Okay, excellent. Lot. Excellent. Thank you very much. We can go beyond my um, usual grabbing the first two lines out of the Wikipedia article. Uh, so the episode opens with the Enterprise on red alert. It's orbiting a planet and the bridge crew are being buffeted about. Uh, Sulu's console explodes and he's thrown to the ground unconscious. Uh, Spock wants to maintain the orbit they're in and uh, tells the captain this is of great scientific importance and we're actually passing through ripples in time. So they're copying heaps of turbulence. Um, Kirk asks Uhura to transmit his captain's logs from the past week to Starfleet Command and inform them, inform them that something or someone on the planet can affect changes in time, causing turbulent waves of space displacement. Uh, McCoy arrives to treat Sulu and declares there's some heart flutter. Uh, better risk a few drops of cordrazine. And Kirk says, that's tricky stuff. Are you sure you want to risk? Uh, but then he's interrupted by Sulu sitting up and smiling. Sulu or, always has an awesome grin on his face like he's stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter what's happening, just big grin from ear to ear. It's very similar to how we saw him in uh, The Naked Time. Mm. Very much so. Um, I mean, not shirtless, but... Pumped up. I've had a few of those. Sulu's, Sulu's awesome. I, don't, I sort of didn't sort of realize how fun Sulu is. 
yeah, it sort of makes you wonder whether as part of the audition process they just had to give random reaction faces. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> he spends a few episodes when he's under the influence on, you know, weird alien spores or the Archons shot him with a ray and he became of the body. So, yeah, he's good at being having wild reactions. Yeah, Sulu has had a few of those, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. He needs to go to rehab for a bit and just dry out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Suddenly they hit major turbulence again and McCoy stumbles and injects himself in the gut with the entire hyperspray of cordrazine and uh, he hits the deck. And then he stands up, his wild eyes, and he's screaming like he's on adrenaline. He so yells out, "Killers, assassins! I won't let you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you first. You won't get me." And then he fights everyone off and leaves the bridge and <laughs> seems to sort of lock the doors behind him, and then roll the intro. Now, of all the sort of extreme overacting we get, I think McCoy's here is. Like it's pretty good, I think, compared to it's not it's not the over the top Shatner or um, even Leonard Nimoy when he's doing a mind meld. Uh, I think the only problem with this is like every time we see McCoy later on in this state, he keeps yelling out the same lines, same few words. Yeah, there's only so many ways you can scream "killers, assassins." Yeah, <laughs> and that's when it starts to get. A bit crap, so I don't know. They should have just maybe just written him a few variations on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so after our credits, Crazy McCoy enters the transporter room and karate chops the technician and then beams himself down to the planet. A landing party of Kirk, Spock, Ahura and Scotty beam down with two red shirts and they find an expanse of ruins with some you know, broken Corinthian columns. Spock says that they're around 10,000 centuries old. I should wonder why wouldn't you just say they're a million years old? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, t- talking in multiple centuries sounds a bit, it's a bit more poetic, I guess. It's like he's telling us some sort of legend. Um, There's an alien-looking stone portal that Spock says is the source of all this time displacement. Kirk asks what it is, and then the portal flashes and talks back to them with a big booming voice. A question. Since before your son burned in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I am the guardian of forever. Kirk asks if he's a machine or a being, and the guardian replies, I am both and neither. I am my own beginning and my own ending. And Spock, sort of has a go at him and says, I don't know why you need to talk to us in riddles. <laughs> just just answer us. Uh, and then the portal explains that it's simply answering within the limits of their understanding. Side note. Yes. Guardian Forever might come back in other novels, I'm not sure, but comes back in one of my favorite Star Trek novels from when I was a kid, a uh, next generation novel by Peter David called Mzadi 
which is about the romance of Consort Troy and Commander Riker. Oh, wow. And the Guardian of Forever fits into that and this whole complicated time travel thing. But that I read that book years before I ever saw City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, wow. Because it's the portals in the episode of the animated series, I think it's the second episode we watched about Spock when he goes back to see himself as a boy. But it's sort of like, I don't know if they're like, oh, something's gone wrong in the timeline. We need to duck down to the Guardian of Forever and fix it. It's like like they always make regular trips now. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. Like... It seems like something that was set up to be used in further episodes that they just never went back to. Yeah. And, the and I, of course, in the cartoon, it's a bit more just kids' cartoon of the time. So it's almost like, you know, it's He-Man just getting out his sword and embracing the power of Grayskull. It's like, quick, let's engage the Guardian of Forever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they how often that happens in the series. but And they're just hanging out. Remember there was a cool bird alien with them? Yeah, the animated series had some very wacky aliens. Yes. Um, <laughs> like we were talking about some Star Wars stuff earlier, uh, Pablo Hidalgo was tweeting about there was like dragons and cat people and all sorts of cool shit. I think yeah. maybe before we start season two, we should do a couple more episodes of the animated series. Like maybe we can watch a couple episodes and then like talk about them in one episode of the podcast. But I want to find, like, just the weirdest shit available. Yeah. Oh, definitely. De- especially that Dragons one because uh, I remember you yeah. you sent me that Pablo tweet. I was, I was very excited about the Dragons. <laughs> yeah, we must. Okay, we'll definitely do that episode. Um, and, yeah, because we've heard in this original series, we've heard Spock talk about dragons, you know, growing, growing up on this planet or, he'd, or that he'd seen a dragon somewhere before. Yeah, when, in that episode when he was high. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And in Discovery, uh, I don't want to give too too many spoilers. Are there dragons away. in Discovery? If there are dragons in Discovery, I will subscribe to CBS All Access right now. Not that I've seen yet. Again, I'm a few episodes behind, but I don't think so. But we we get uh, we get a, a scene of Spock as a kid drawing a dragon, and it's but it's cool, really cool augmented reality drawing. <laughs> it like. You know the, how they they drew they draw something now and then they can throw it up into the air from the screen and then it moves around the room and attacks young Berman, um, young Michael. Yeah, so it's kind of like um, it's almost like Harry Potter. You know, cast a spell and, it, and your drawing comes to life. So it's a cool, cool. Um, some cool hologram technology. Uh, any other Guardian stuff? Um. Only that I wonder how much of it is. I mean, this was Star Trek, and frankly, in the 60s, continuity was not a big thing. Yeah. So they just never went back to it. Or if the complicated, contentious stuff that was going on behind the scenes is the reason they never went back to it. Mm. Yeah, I wonder. I think I read that it was actually a pretty expensive episode to just make. 
with oh, all the, the sets and things. But even though it was on like a back lot, it still ended up being expensive. Yeah, again, I wonder if it's just seeing like the the effects of them jumping through the portal and vanishing and reappearing, that couldn't be more expensive than teleporting. Well, I guess <laughs> if you're doing time travel instead of an alien planet, you can't just do styrofoam rocks. Yeah, that's right. You got to hire some old cars and spend a bit of time on wardrobe. So Spock explains that this is a time portal. It's a gateway to other times and dimensions. And the portal says, that's that, as that correct, correct as possible, possible for you. Your, Your science, science knowledge is obviously, obviously primitive. primitive. Sick burn talking portal. He, Spock looks so insulted. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, this portal's a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, the portal fills with smoke and says, Behold, oh, a gateway, gateway to your to own, own past, past, if you wish. And then we see scenes of uh, ancient Egyptians on camels and what seems to be the Roman Empire. Um, crazy McCoy interrupts with, Killers, I won't let you get me. And Spock subdues him with a nerve pinch. Uh, Kirk comes up with the idea of using this portal to go back one day in time and preventing McCoy's accident. It's such a little, like, why? Why would you mess with time to fix such a little thing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, just wait for the drugs to wear off, which yeah, we know they do eventually because that's what happens in this episode so for spock <laughs> to suggest that is insane oh so spock comes up with that there you go i thought that was good yeah but yeah that's you're right and we learn about what happens when you mess with the timeline even like slightly this is really <laughs> if you've if you've had a bad high just smoking pot and you time traveled to prevent it from happening. <laughs> he hasn't, but like, because because Bones hasn't really done anything at this point. He's being crazy and yelling shit, but he hasn't hurt anybody or killed anybody or fucked anything up. He's just running around being crazy. So your solution to be time travel. Oh. Is so disproportionate to what's happened. <laughs> You're right. Just as soon as you got it, finally you've given him a nerve pinch. You got him disabled. Take him back up to sick bay and sedate him until it wears off. Yeah, and but also the question remains: to save Sulu, he only needed two drops or something, and yet the vial that he had had like a hundred times that. Yeah. Why? Yeah, if that's you a good point. Need a couple of drops. Why are you carrying around that much? Yeah, that's not normally how syringes work. But this is a hyperspray. <laughs> Thank you for asking the good questions, Catherine, because I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. I'm also sorry to everyone for poking holes in the story. <laughs> Look, yeah. I went into this thinking this is one of the best Star Trek episodes of all time. And don't get me wrong. It's very good. There's a lot of dumb shit in this episode. <laughs> it was sort of watching, because I, I guess I probably haven't seen this, I mean, if, for a couple of decades, maybe. 
It was oh, a wow. bit of a like reality check. Ah, I see. I still love it. I still think it's really good, but yeah, it's not quite what I remember. Like in my head, it's a very different thing than what it actually is. Yeah, I I actually found it really good. For some reason, there must be another episode later about nineteen um, twenties, you know, mafia gangsters or something like that, the mob. And for some reason, I thought that was this one. And I'm like, why? Or maybe I'm even thinking of an episode from a different Star Trek series like Next Gen or something. And I was sort of... Uh, no, 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 no. Um, It's second season. It is called... Let me find it. Uh, a but piece yeah. of the action. When oh, they go, okay. Like, yeah. There's some sort of alien planet that looks like earth in such and such time period it's one of those episodes and there's people with tommy guns and shit yeah and there's some sort of mob boss or whatever that kirk's got to fight off or something for some reason i thought that was this episode and i couldn't understand why that's everybody's favorite episode ever (laughs) (laughs) so i I was very relieved this was your first time seeing it it's not my first like i've definitely seen it before but i I don't know it's I, i think sort of since learning a bit more and talking to people and realizing this is everybody's favorite episode. This is the first time I've gone back and watched it. And I'm going, oh, okay. ah, this, this is yeah. a great episode. It's so I think that, yeah. weird how your memory can conflate different things into being the same thing. Especially me. I think last week we talked about, I thought we'd recapped an episode that isn't until next series. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my memory is a bit unreliable. <laughs> I think, yes, we've pointed out that there's a few problems with some logic, but I think the actual concept and ideas behind the episode is what makes it great. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think this is great. The, the only thing that annoyed me slightly is just the McCoy yelling killers and assassins over and <laughs> yeah. over again, and I just would have liked them to give him some slightly different lines and, and, and I'll yeah. be happy. There's some silly stuff here. Moving on with the plot slightly, sorry. When they're like McCoy like escapes and is running around, it's very like pantomime. Yeah. Like there he is. Like how were they not seeing him? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you need the need the like yeah, like a kid's pantomime, you know, to ask the audience, have you seen him? Is he behind me? Where? <laughs> Quick, you yell out when you see him. Where's that crazy Dr. McCoy? He's behind you. He's behind you. <laughs> Where? Oh, man. I'd love to see this as a pantomime. You know, I was just thinking that we don't have any pantomime, like, history here in the U.S. And the only way I know it is through, like, a lot of British and Australian media that I consume. But... I guess we sort of do in the U.S. in kids' television. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Dora the Explorer and that sort of cartoon where yeah, you exactly. say something yeah. and then they'll wait for the audience to respond. Where's Swiper? If you see Swiper, yell Swiper, swiper no, no Swiping. Swiper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're sort of fascinating. Like, pantomimes, they're not 
like they're massive in England and they seem to be like a end of year Christmas time thing where you know, everyone you take your kids to the theater to see whatever pantomimes on whereas here I think it's I don't know it's not quite as big a deal maybe it is in Melbourne you're a bit more cultured down there Catherine ah uh, we don't have pantomimes as such but they do have like children's plays on I I know a few years ago uh I helped my sister take her kids to see um, the Gruffalo. Oh, nice. Uh, live on stage. Yeah. Yeah. But we also have a tradition of Neighbours actors going over to London and starring on the pantomime stage. Yeah. Neighbours is one of our longest-running soap operas that uh, Emily's good pal Greg Fleet was in. Yeah, he uh, killed Daphne with his car. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is the fact that I know that is, I don't even know what that means, but I know that exactly. So these, there's a couple of soap operas in Australia that are actually bigger in England. They, they probably still exist and they're still running mostly because they're so popular for you know, British TV audiences. But the stars, when they go over there, they're big celebrities, so in their holidays and the the off season they go over there and act in plays and pantomimes and things well chris hemsworth started on home and away yeah that's right he, he got a big acting break to bring it back to star trek as george kirk um on the jj abrams reboot reboot yeah, yeah. unreal yeah sorry just that's my IMD no, that's good because you, Catherine, <laughs> brought it back to Star Trek. Thank you so much. <laughs> McCoy's been nerve-pinched. Kirk comes up with this crazy idea of using the portal to go back one day in time to stop McCoy from injecting himself. Suddenly, McCoy regains consciousness and leaps through the portal to everyone's horror. Um, McCoy has somehow changed history and now the Enterprise doesn't exist and the landing party is stranded on this planet. Uh, Kirk asks the Guardian to replay Earth's history so they can jump in the portal at the right time. Um, Kirk and Spock jump through the portal and leave the others, uh, possibly never to see them again. Kirk and Spock arrive in Main Street, USA during the Depression era. Uh, There are some nice vintage cars and a horse-drawn cart carrying ice. Uh, Kirk climbs a fire escape and steals some clothes so they can blend in. He's caught stealing by a policeman. And, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Talk us through. Oh, my God. Okay. This is where it gets interesting because, and this happens, you know, not, it's not uncommon. And obviously we are watching this series through modern eyes as opposed to 1960s eyes. But, and I sort of, I had to mute somebody on Twitter about this because I got really annoyed. I, I don't think you can ignore this and just shrug it off as, well, that was the times. Because it's important to realize that was the times where those times were really fucking racist. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't even remember what the setup is, but the way Kirk decides to explain Spock's alien book is twofold. 
The first is that he is a Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, if you read the original screenplay, it's even worse because it's obvious. I mean, because this was the 60s and so it was an Oriental. Oh. (laughs) And further, the ears <laughs> and I'm, I'm look like we're laughing because it's so horrible and that's like the only reaction you can have is he was caught in a mechanical like rice picker <laughs> and it like I mean there's a couple of different reasons my jaw dropped in the scene first of all the Horrific racism, but also like in my head, again, this was like a really serious, like emotional episode. And I had forgotten all of this jokey shit. And that's what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this really big laugh line. Yeah. And <laughs> because he's Chinese, his ears, he was in a horrific accident which involved some sort of stereotypical non existent Chinese thing. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then it was, there <laughs> happened to be an American plastic surgeon. Like, oh. Saved, of course, by American missionaries. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh god! Oh, it's really bad. Um, Kirk distracts this cop, and Spock's disables him with a nerve pinch, and then they escape and make it into a building basement and put on their stolen disguises. And for some reason, during these comedy bits, there's there's Irish music playing. I mean, who? God only knows. Which I wanted. Uh, the only thing I wanted was maybe it was a racial thing to do with the cop. Oh. <laughs> you got a you got a New York Irish cop. I don't think he was Irish though. I couldn't understand. It was this. I don't know. They're just using. Okay, we need another song. We got a wacky song. Quick, get out. Wacky There's song. There's a lot of wacky three. music in this episode. Okay, it's fashion report time. Okay. By the way, let me just start off by saying Leonard Nimoy looks really fucking hot in these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I have issues. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so does anyone want to go ahead in describing the fashions? Okay, Kirk is in this plaid flannel shirt. Uh, Spock is in a sort of gray work shirt and a blue, I think, stocking cap tied his ears, and they're both wearing jeans. I was going to ask you what you call that hat in America. We call it a beanie, which I'm sure is just an Australian thing. We ha- beanie, like I've heard, but like I wouldn't, I, I would know what you meant when you say beanie. It's not really used here, or at least not in that context. The okay, the way I know beanie is, follow me here. It's more lengthy than it should be. Which is okay. Did you guys have Calvin and Hobbes in Australia? The comic strip? No. Okay, no. I, not that I'm okay, aware of. I knew them a bit more. I did have American friends. So. Okay. Coward and Hobbs, the okay. greatest new pa- newspaper comic strip of all time about a young boy, Calvin, and his stuffed tiger friend, Hobbs, who would come <laughs> to light. Like, in Calvin's imagination, was an actual tiger. 
Oh, wow. There is a storyline where Calvin is collecting like the box tops from cereals to send out to get the prize. Did you guys have that kind of shit? Yeah. Yep. Where you would buy things. Yep. Okay. He would get a beanie with a propeller on it. Oh, sweet. So it's like, it wasn't quite, it's not quite a stocking cap in the U.S. It's sort of just like a, it's the same general shape, but it kind of stops above the ears and it's not knit. But anyway, in his imagination, because this is a propeller beanie, he's going to be able to fly. (laughs) And so the whole, like, it's maybe like a week, maybe two weeks of him waiting to get this beanie and then just being devastated that it's just a piece of oh, shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's where I learned what a beanie was. Very cool. Well, Spock's, Spock's beanie doesn't fly. Um, but, yeah, they're in pretty plain sort of clothing of the time. Um, and a beautiful woman discovers them. And then we get our old Hollywood romance music and she's shot with soft lighting and Vaseline on the lens. Uh, and I, I do love that sort of old Hollywood romantic music with the strings. It's always so beautiful and there's just that little hint of sadness in it. And, of course, that relates to our storyline as it unfolds. Yeah, but what I also like is that she's not immediately fawning over him like some of the other love interests have in the past yeah. episodes. Like, yes, they do the soft lighting and all of that, but she's not this, you know, big doe-eyed looking at him like he's this wondrous man. She's just sort of looking at him going, hmm, who the hell are you? Yeah. Man, she gets an entrance though. All the, the love interest of the week always gets an awesome entrance. <laughs> Plus it's Joan Collins. She gets an entrance. Is it really? I didn't even yeah. know that. You didn't know that was Joan Oh, I'm so dumb. I have to say. No, I'm so dumb. You don't – I know the soft lighting thing happens. You don't need to soft light Joan Collins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's already gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because she just – yeah, she just sort of sparkles and glows in that scene. There you go. I had no idea. Yep, yep, yep. So tell me – I obviously don't know enough about Joan Collins – career like was she a big was she a big star prior to this yeah like this would have been one of like the this would have been like a thing okay so people would have been like holy shit it's joan collins on our space show that we've just tuned in so this would have been a big deal yeah i i i think so Um, would this have been written up in tv week i mean tv guide well, actually, let me think, because Dynasty wasn't until the 80s. I mean, she would have been in stuff. I don't know if she necessarily would have actually. No, actually, now that I think about it, it wouldn't have been like a holy shit. Julia Roberts is on an episode of Star Trek. OK, because I, I feel like it wasn't until later that that was really a big thing. So so maybe because yeah, okay. I just it's it's hard to looking back. I'm actually I'm on our on our like IMDb right now. Like looking at it, she would have been in stuff. She would have def- definitely been known. 
but maybe it wouldn't have quite as been as big as I'm thinking it was. She was probably like a well-known guest star looking at yeah. all the things she's done, but she probably wasn't a big name. And I've just seen that she was in the 1960s Batman. Oh, so. sweet. Like, uh, like a regular character yes. or just a guest appearance? A couple episodes. Yep. Yep, the siren. Oh, wow. Um. Kirk tells her the truth and says that they were being chased by policemen because they stole the clothes that they are wearing and they don't have any money. Uh, the woman introduces herself uh, herself as Edith Keeler and offers them work. Uh, they're in the 21st Street Mission. Upstairs in the soup kitchen, Edith gives a speech to the homeless men while they're having dinner and tells them to keep on surviving because someday soon man is going to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom, energies that could hurl us to other worlds in some sort of spaceship. And the men that reach out into space will be able to find ways to feed the hungry millions of the world and to cure their diseases. I mean, okay. You'd, if you are one of these people... You'd just be thinking, Jesus, just let me eat my soup, right? Oh, yeah. Which is what one of them said. That, yeah, the guy next to Kirk was just like, yep, food's good, but mm, you've got to listen to the soup. <laughs> but otherwise, this is very, I'm sorry, I got to look it up. What year did Guys and Dolls come out? Um, okay, that came out in 55, so definitely before. This is definitely like a guys and dolls thing. Uh, cool. Like, this yeah. is, yeah, like the sister, I can't remember her name, like Salvation Army chick and guys uh, and yeah. dolls. Yeah, it's gotta be. Man, I've got to add okay, that to my homework like for this 20... week, too. You've never seen guys and dolls? Oh, I probably have, but. Oh my Definitely god! Definitely not recently. Uh, you got at least um, you got at least YouTube a couple of the songs because we'll do. What are the like, hits? Sit, uh, sit down and rock in the boat is amazing, and like particularly the mu- the movie version is really good. But that was um, Frank Sinatra as Nathan Detroit and Marlon Brando as Guy Matherson. Oh, nice. Um, sister something or other is Gene Simmons. It's really good. Oh, wow. I love Guys and Dolls. Oh, cool. Hang on. Did you just say Gene Simmons? Yes. Not the one you're thinking <laughs> of. Who is it? This is Gene Simmons with a J? Okay, yeah. Not Gene yeah. Simmons from Kiss. No, not that Gene Simmons. <laughs> First of all, this is the 50s, so definitely not. <laughs> and also, this was well, well, there is a time portal. something or other. So I should say at this point, I've had about half a bottle of wine. But watch Guys and Dolls. It's a great musical. Awesome. I, will. I, really, I really don't like musicals. I love Guys and Dolls. I like musicals. I like a bit of On the Town. Well, let's just list musicals we like. What musicals do you like, Catherine? I think Guys and Dolls was the first musical my mum took me to way back when. Um, 
yeah, Ricky May was the guy who sang Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat. So there's a name, a blast for the past oh. for you, Nick. Yeah. Um, but no, we I go see a few musicals through, oh, I've, yeah, I've seen a few, but one of the most memorable ones was when we saw Beauty and the Beast and Hugh Jackman was Gaston. Oh, wow. And this was wow. Prior X-Men, it's just great. That's why I was very disappointed when he wasn't Gaston in the recent Disney live movie because I was like, he was perfect as Gaston. He was great. I I also have a inexplicable weakness for the Sunset Boulevard musical. And it looks like it's going to be made into a movie with Glenn Close and I'm really excited about it because the musical version is awesome. Like I know it's a classic Hollywood film and it's amazing, but it has a couple of my favorite musical songs of all time. And I really hope it happens, even though it'll probably be terrible except for Glenn Close being amazing. Again, I saw that with Hugh Jackman. Oh man. Are you playing Joe? Yeah, he was like, yeah, the main guy. Oh, I can't quite see him as Joe. I mean, I love Hugh Jackman, but yeah. he's a little bit, and I say that this with all love for him, <laughs> he's a little bit cheesy for Joe oh, Gillis. Oh, yeah. Yes, he's, he fills the stage. Yeah, because that's a very noir character. Mm. Mm. Hmm. And, and Hugh Jackman... Great dude, fucking love him. Noir and Hugh Jackman do not mix. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. And I have about one glass of wine away from singing songs from Sims of nice. So let's move on back to the back to this episode of Star Trek. I don't know if you guys said this growing up because I, I grew up in a tiny little town, and there's a like an amateur theatre company, and they put on a play, you know, once a year just before Christmas time. I guess it's the equivalent to, you know, going to a pantomime in England. But they used to do, like, I, the first thing I can remember seeing was My Fair Lady uh, and they'd do, okay. like, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and all those sorts of things. And they, they were lucky enough they had really good singers. Um, but it was like the local, there'd be a, the local doctor and a lawyer and a school teacher, like you'd see them all up on stage. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> Of course, though, my favourite musical is Planet of the Apes, the musical with Troy McClure. <gasps> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? <laughs> of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. I wish that existed in reality. Oh, no. I really do. Which episode would you pick for a Star Trek musical? Hmm. Are we talking original series? Yeah. Why not? Trouble with Tribbles. Nice. Because <laughs> you get some sort of like Klingon operatic number because oh, Klingons nice. are really into opera, we learn later. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I can't wait for somebody to write that. Sick musical fanfic. <laughs> so uh, back in our episode, Edith finds Spock and Kirk a room in her building for $2 a week. Uh, and Spock starts building a computer in their room out of valves and coils and 
whatever electric components he can get at the time. Um, For his hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yes, his radio hobby. <laughs> yes. Which, to be fair to this episode, actually was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, he tells Kirk he needs platinum. Uh, they find, and then they find work uh, cleaning up at a watchmaker's store. And Spock temporarily steals the watchmaker's precision tools to work on his computer. Um, Edith has somehow caught them with the tools, but Kirk convinces her Spock will put them back before the morning. And Edith asks Kirk to walk her home and wants to know where they where they um, came from. She's very interested in science and in the fu- into the future, and she reminds me a bit of Doc Brown's girlfriend in Back to the Future Three. A little bit of a oh, Clara character. Yeah, that's a good pull. Like very focused on what humankind could achieve. Yeah, like she's a dreamer, but she's she's got a. It's almost like she's got a bit of a plan and. She's passionate about how how she can how things will happen. Like she's she's not just daydreaming. Is this when we first start to hear "Goodnight, Sweetheart" playing? Is that what's playing in the background? Yeah. Good night, sweetheart. Da, na, 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 na. Which I was wondering if and if you know the answer to this, please write in the British TV show. Good night, sweetheart. Which is about time travel, where the guy, main character, time travels back and starts a relationship with a woman during World War Two, even though in the present time of the show he's married to another woman. Was that inspired by this? It must be. There's no way it's not. Oh wow! I, I think I know the show you're talking oh, about. Yeah. I love that show. I love that. It's show. quite good. Yeah. Time travel is always cheap. Like, I never made that connection before, but I find that way too much of a coincidence for it to be happenstance. Yeah. Yeah, it was it wasn't just like this I mean, it was a comedy, but he actually faced consequences and serious ethical dilemmas with his time travel. And and there were complications. He had to it, it actually was well thought out at times for a light-hearted British sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, because it was kind of fun and funny. It's very different to have – you, have you guys watched the Scottish series? Is it Outlander? Outlander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I think I read like the first – maybe just the first book in those series and then it got a little too much like romance novel for me. Yeah, it is like I'm, I'm not into it. My wife's – big into it um but that's sort of very dark but yeah i think the that with that sort of time travel story she's transported back into the past and she spends years and years there there's it's not clear that she's ever going to get back and so you know she starts a new relationship and gets pregnant and then eventually comes back to the present day with a baby and says it's okay i'm a time traveler (laughs) yeah I looked up the Wikipedia page for Goodnight Sweetheart, and City on the Edge of Forever is not referenced, but 
I refuse to believe <laughs> that there's there's no like connection there because that I mean it's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like it might have even been unconscious, but there <laughs> there has to be some connection. <laughs> right in. Let us know your thoughts. I feel like we need a talkback call-in number. I have a lot of thoughts on this episode that will come back at the end. Nice. So, meanwhile, Spock has his computer built and he's hooked it up to his uh, tricorder and he's slowed down the footage he captured of Earth's history playing back. Uh, And he brings up a newspaper article with a photo of Edith and the headline, Social Worker Killed. When Kirk returns from his romantic stroll, Spock shows him an article from 1936, six years from now. Uh, The president and Edith Keeler conferred for some time today, and then Spock's computer burns out spectacularly in the smoke everywhere. Kirk is excited about Edith's great future, uh, but Spock breaks out the bad news and that he's also just read Edith's obituary. She has two possible futures, and depending on whether she lives or dies, all of history will change. Dr. McCoy is the random element. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I covered it. So they've arrived, they don't know exactly how early, but they've arrived you know, earlier than Dr. McCoy did. Um, does Dr. McCoy kill her or prevent her from being killed? We don't know which. Cut to outside in the alley, and uh, McCoy appears out of nowhere. He leaps into the present, uh, yelling, murderers, assassins. Which bunch of, like, sores on his face. Yeah, he's met proper messed up now. We get a close-up of him (laughs) with red eyes, and he looks like he's got, I don't know, some sort of zombie virus. Uh, He's all green and got these red blotches, and he yells at a homeless guy that's just stolen a bottle of milk from the morning milk delivery. And he says, you, what planet is this? He drops his precious Depression-era milk and runs off terrified. McCoy catches up with the guy and tries to get answers. <laughs> he, he takes the guy's hat off and starts measuring with his hands, and he's going, hmm, biped, good cranial development, considerable human <laughs> ancestry. <laughs> oh, dear, Star Trek. I love you, but what are you doing? Oh, that's a, I love this. It's hilarious. The guy's just freaked out, and he's sort of trying to reason him, like says something about oh, when you have – too much of a some some old liquor or something, you know, you, things aren't what they seem or whatever. He just thinks this guy's whacked out. And then all of a sudden McCoy passes out and the homeless guy picks his pockets and steals his communicator. Now, something I don't quite understand here is he opens the communicator and then all of a sudden teleports away. So where is... Nonsense. Yeah, because there's no teleporter to... What the... I thought it was like a must have been his phaser or, or something, and it oh, it could have been. Blew up. <gasps> oh, dude, he just kills himself. Oh, that's... yeah. <laughs> Maybe oh, that's dark. That is dark. Maybe it is, but I know I was sure it was a communicator. I mean, I it, it might be. I don't know. I was. I, I I don't remember this quite how it played out. But either way, I mean, even if he's teleporting, he's teleporting into nothing. Because it's the 1930s, 
and there's uh, nowhere for him to go. Maybe another Starfleet ship came back and beamed him up, took the communicator and there's beamed him no, back down. There's no Starfleet <laughs> ship for him to go to. Yeah, well, not not currently in that timeline. Maybe some maybe somebody else came back at some sort of time travel doctors came back to fix it. I'm going to retcon the shit out of this. He's Nick. He's dead. That guy <laughs> teleports into nothingness. Oh man, he what is a- he is worse than Lieutenant Barkley. So, okay, like I don't even know if that makes sense to you. <laughs> That's a very specific next generation reference. That dude is is gone. Shit. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Too bad if he was due to do something important the next day. Um, He's totally Star Trek Jesus and just got erased. Oh man. He was going to solve everything. The Klingon Starfleet, the Romulan Starfleet conflicts, everything would have been okay except for this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't they ask the portal to take them back? Oh, no. So the portal only does Earth history. They could have just got the portal to take them back like (laughs) 10 minutes ago before and (laughs) stop McCoy from jumping into the portal. That's a really good point, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But we've established that this portal is a bit of a dick, so I'm not sure how helpful it wants to be. It's amazing what television shows can make you not think about. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Kirk and Spock are trying to figure out what to do. Is is Edith Keeler meant to live or is she meant to die? Uh, McCoy wanders into the soup kitchen in his blue Starfleet uniform. He has the terrible red blotches over him and he looks a mess. Uh, Edith takes him out back to get some rest and here's our like pantomime cartoon moment. Spock comes in to serve tea just like a moment later and just misses McCoy. Later, Spock has fixed his computer and he's figured out that in this altered timeline, there is a growing pacifist movement that delays the United States from entering World War II. This leads to Nazi Germany having more time to work on its heavy water experiments. Germany develops the atomic bomb first and with their V2 rockets to propel it, Germany wins the war and conquers the world. Uh, Edith Keeler founded that peace movement. Kirk says she was right, peace was the way. And Spock replies she was right, but at the wrong time. All this because McCoy came back and kept Edith from dying in a street accident. Kirk then announces that he is in love with Edith Keeler. And Spock replies, Jim, Edith Keeler must die. McCoy wakes up in the cot with Edith looking after him and he's calm now and he's trying to figure out if he's, if he's dreaming or if he's demented. Um, later, Edith nearly falls down the staircase at their apartment building and Kirk saves her and she kisses him. But Spock's logical about this and warns Kirk that Edith could have died right then. Kirk is taking Edith out to see a Clark Gable movie. And as they stroll down the street, Edith mentions Dr. McCoy and Kirk yells, stay right there. And he runs back across the street just as Spock and McCoy emerge from the building and they all hug and have a reunion. And Elizabeth is amazed and she's focused on them and she walks mindlessly across the road in front of a speeding car. 
Dr. McCoy is about to rush to save her, but Jim grabs him and holds him back as Edith is hit by the car. And McCoy is horrified and he turns to Jim and said, do you know what you've done? And uh, I think it's some pretty good acting here just in general, like the way mm-hmm. Kirk sort of turns around and deals with these, this terrible emotional moment. It's pretty good. Back on the planets, Kirk and Spock leap out of the time portal, back in their Starfleet uniforms, and Scotty says, what happened, sir? You only left a moment ago. And McCoy follows a second later, and then the portal declares, time Time has resumed its shape. All is as it was before. Many such journeys are possible. Let me be your gateway. And Uhura says to the captain, the Enterprise is up there, and they're asking if we want to beam up. Kirk replies, let's get the hell out of here. And they all beam up and we're left with a shot of the time portal and the sound of howling winds on the planet as the credits start to roll up. Pretty damn good, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's especially for Star Trek, which is an extremely optimistic show. Yeah. Pretty dark. Yeah. Well, part of me wanted to be like, hey, why don't you just take Edith, she's going to die anyway, take her through the portal <laughs> and live happily ever after. But uh, then you can't go back. You can't reset for next week. Yeah. No. Yeah. We don't even know how they get back through the portal anyway. Yeah, good question. Oh, jeez, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, where is the portal on Earth in the 30s? Yeah, or do they right. just like magically? Is it like Quantum Leap, where once they complete their mission, they just <laughs> automatically beam out? Yeah, that's the best I could think of when I was watching it. That it must just be the Guardian knows that the time is back to normal, but yeah, otherwise they they have no way of getting back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Should I talk about the behind the scenes stuff now? Please do. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, this is bizarrely complicated, weird soap opera shit that happened in this episode. Um, Harlan Ellison, renowned science fiction author wrote this episode sort of and it gets really complicated and really dramatic and it's it's really hard to know exactly what happened um i will say first of all there is a book that came out which is the city on the edge of forever original teleplay um originally published i think in the mid 90s and please interrupt me if I go too far into a tangent, but there's there's just like so much to cover here. It's insane. Like it is in its own way. Like you could make a movie about the shit. Which is Harlan Ellison. Very famous, especially at the time, sci-fi author. Um, mostly known for short stories. The thing about the 1960s is there's a ton of magazines like science fiction short stories are coming out all the time in these monthly magazines 
And Harold Nelson is a really prominent author for that. Um, Harold Nelson is also an enormous jackass. <laughs> and and that's not just from people who hated him. That's also from people who really loved him. Um, Harold Nelson just died, was it last year? I think maybe the year before. Even people who really loved Harold and who was friends with Harold and say he was a contentious dick. And The City on the Edge of Forever has a lot of drama in it. And it's hard to know the facts. But here's sort of what happened in terms of what I know about it. Which is... Harlan Nelson is, at the time in the 60s, a very well... Would have been very well known to the Star Trek audience. Um, in the 1960s, there were... There were I mean, first of all, there were just tons of magazines coming out full stop, which doesn't happen anymore. But there were a lot of science fiction magazines that had a lot of short stories. It's sort of, it's how Alron Hubbard of Scientology made his name, even though he actually published under tons of pseudonyms, is through these, these science fiction publications. And that's what Harlan Ellison is known for, is his short stories. He did write novels, several novels, but He's most famous for short stories, which were originally published in magazine form. Um, probably most famously, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. And <laughs> and one of the, and according to Wikipedia, one of the most republished um, short stories of all time. And it's a great story. You can find all the text online. Just look for it. It's um, Repent Harlequin Said the TikTok Man. It's an amazing wow. story. The The basis of it is this dystopian future where... <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous saying it. It's a great story. I highly recommend it. But the basis is being late is a crime. And the amount of time you're late for doing whatever it is you're supposed to do is subtracted from your life. Oh, yikes. Oh. Man, I'd be dead already. <laughs> decades ago it's also important to note going into this all Harlan Ellison is from all accounts including people who who were friends with him and this is like he just died a year or two ago so it's people like Patton Oswalt and people who are talking about him contemporaneously enormous jackass like just like a real like argumentative fiery real piece of shit and so i think it's important to say that because i got the original teleplay for city and the inch forever within my library because it was published in in book form with this introduction um written in the mid 90s if you can find it through your library get it I wouldn't necessarily pay for it. It's very interesting. It is 80 plus pages of the most vitriolic shit I've ever read. Wow. Harlan Ellison wrote an episode of Star Trek, Sitting on the Edge of Forever. 
Like, that's that's the fact. Everything else from that is sort of who knows who's telling the truth and who's not. Um, Gene Roddenberry, we've talked about this before. I've talked about this before. Also an enormous jackass. Yeah. So, it, so it's sort of hard to know what's true here and what's not. So I don't want to present this as this is hard fact. Harlan Ellison is, even, even for people who really loved him, I remember this when Harlan Ellison died last year, even people who really liked him, like Patton Oswalt was tweeting about this. He was like really contentious and really fiery and really opinionated. So it's hard to know how much of this is true. But in this 80 plus page introduction to his original City on a Future as your forever teleplay, it's hard to know how much of it is real and how much of it is hubris or whatever. But his original teleplay and what is on screen are two very different things. Through the Writers Guild of America rules, he had the rights to his original teleplay for City in the Edge of Forever. And he submitted it to the Writers Guild of America Awards and won for it for best original teleplay or script or whatever. And the book, again, if you can get it for free, totally do it. It's really interesting. It has the sort of synopsis teleplay sort of treatments for this episode as well as the scripts for this episode. And it's it's really interesting to compare it to what's on screen. But there's also this 80-page introduction of just vitriol against Gene Roddenberry, against William oh, Shatner. And it's sort of it's sort of easy for me as somebody who knows Roddenberry was a piece of shit and who hates William Shatner to go, oh yeah, totally, like, thumbs up, go on, Ellison. But <laughs> Ellison is not a good guy. Um, he... All right. First of all, like, anybody, even people who are friends with him, say, you know, like really narcissistic, contentious, love to pick a fight, dude. But there's more to it than that. Which is in and I first of all, you can look this up. I don't and I'm too frank and too drunk at this point. I'm sorry. I should be more <laughs> professional for my free podcast. Not at all. But <laughs> it was either the Hugo's or the Nebulas, two very prestigious sci-fi fantasy award ceremonies. And this is where we've been, where we sort of segue into serious territory. He, he groped Connie Willis on stage. Connie oh, Willis, shit. who is an amazing author, who wrote um, All Clear and Blackout, two of my favorite time travel novels she's amazing she's so cool really good writer i mean there's there's no way to get around that he grew up on stage there's video and it's it's not the only story of that and so you have you have to acknowledge it because it's not just 
stories of Harlan Ellison being a dick, which there are tons of. You got to separate being a dick to being a predator. And yeah. And so we read his accusations against Roddenberry. You got to you got to sort of weigh that. Which is and, and I've said this before on the show. Gene Roddenberry is a, was a dick. And I don't lo- like I don't have that sort of fangirl thing for Roddenberry. But it is hard to know how much of this is ego and how much of it is true. When you when you read this teleplay of Sitting in Manager Forever. Which is why I don't recommend buying it. I don't think reading it if you can get it for free. Because it is definitely biased. But You're dealing with massive, massive egos here, aren't you? Yeah, it is. I would, and because they were writing about the same time period and because they were writing for the same publications, because you got to realize this is in the 60s when sci-fi short stories were being published in really prominent magazines. Like, there were tons of science fiction short story magazines. Are they, are they sort of serialized? Is, yeah. Or they short stories? Well, not no, they, they were just short stories like um, Fantastic Adventures. Like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm I'm too far gone to think of the names of these things. <laughs> there's some of them. There, there's maybe one or two that are still in publication. But the idea was what these magazines did was they just published sci-fi and occasionally fantasy short stories. Like, that was a big deal in the 60s and 70s. That's how Alron Hubbard of Scientology infamy made his career and really that's what that's what um allison did um again um i have no mouth and i would scream is one of the famous but repent harlequin said the tiktok man is according to wikipedia when i was looking it up a couple of days ago is one of the most republished english language short stories of all time wow and it's really it's here's the thing um, Harlan Hubbard wrote shit. Harlan yeah. Ellison, however much of a gigantic jackass he might have been, wrote really good stuff. And even in the 60s, when he was writing this episode of Star Trek, that was a pretty big deal. And it was something that they, they publicized, it was something they talked about, but it became this whole huge mess. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been rambling and I haven't even gotten into the Star Trek episode yet. <laughs> okay, so, Allison is commissioned to write this episode of Star Trek. He writes it. And like any episode of Star of any TV show, it's going to go into rewrites and stuff. Because there's, there's also things in times of, um, times of budgets and times of shows, Bible whatever that doesn't fit or doesn't, you know, work quite right that they have to change. Um, so this, this book that comes out in the mid-90s, which is the original teleplay of City on the Edge of Forever, plus this 80-page introduction of insanity 
from Ellison <laughs> is is talking about this process. But factually, what we do know is, of course, it's an episode of television. It's going to go through many different rewrites. For the purposes of this show, a couple of the more interesting things. One is McCoy is not the fulcrum point. It's this new character I do not remember the name of. I'm sorry. But he is a drug dealer slash drug addict who kills another crewman and is going to be executed. I see. It's a lot darker immediately. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And... The when they get down to the planet on the city of Edge River, the guardians are seen. It's not just this voice that we hear, it's these like 10 foot tall species of alien who are protecting this time vortex. Um, the other mark most interesting thing is at least on the first teleplay it actually changes it's one of the things that he was asked to rewrite that he actually rewrote instead of refusing to rewrite is Edith Keeler who's called something else in this episode like when he originally wrote it the guardians know that she is the fulcrum point And they tell Kirk and Spock this. So Kirk and Spock know, going back, that Edith is the point that they must, like, have the action of. So Kirk knows, before he falls in love with her, that she has to die. Oh, God. Which that's totally different, isn't it? Yeah, it is very different. Like everything else, you can kind of dismiss. Like the the change from this random drug addict slash drug dealer crewman to McCoy, you can kind of dismiss. But yep. the idea that Kirk goes back, knowing that Edith has to die, and falls in love with her anyway. Is is a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so at the end of the episode, as it is shot, Kirk grabs McCoy to stop him from stopping Edith from getting hit by this car, right? Yeah. yeah. In the original teleplay by Harlan Ellison... Kirk is crossing the street to stop this random crewman from stopping Edith from being hit by this car. And he can't do it. And so it is Spock who grabs this crewman to stop him. Ah, uh, wow. And that's another, like, it, it seems like you can you can say it's a small thing, but it's really not. It's a very different thing. And there is this scene 
it ends with this episode and and Harlan talks about it in, in this in the introduction that he writes where and how important this is to him that this is one of the very few moments where Spock calls Kirk Jim and it's after everything has happened and it's basically just Spock checking in on Kirk to making sure he's okay but he calls Kirk Jim and, and, and Kirk says to him, that's the first time you haven't called me captain. Mm. And so it's this big emotional moment. And then, and then Spock has this other line of, you know, that, that, that she's so important because like history revolved around her and she was, in the end, one of the most loved women who's ever existed because, you know, Kirk had to let her die. But it's it's hard to know because this is, again, like 80 plus pages of Harlan Ellison absolutely eviscerating Roddenberry. Because, all right, so this episode happens. Ellison does rewrites upon rewrites. And then Roddenberry, because Roddenberry and Allison were friends. It's it's sort of, it's how Allison ended up writing this episode in the first place. But after the episode happens, and after it's this really big deal, and it gets all these awards, Roddenberry does a couple of speeches where he talks about how it's his script that got a nebula. It's his script that did such and such oh, and such man. and such. But there's a couple problems. First of all, didn't get a nebula, it got a Hugo. But also, how much Roddenberry was actually rewriting it and how much of it was Coon or... And I feel really bad, especially considering this is International Women's Day when we're recording, at least in the U.S., it's International Women's Day. Roddenberry didn't have shit about writing this. He just, like, he wasn't a writer. He, like, he just wasn't. Um, And so I can't remember this woman's name. But the rewrites were probably upon Roddenberry's request. Because there's a lot of this, this whole idealism of what space travel was and would be that Edith Keeler has is very Roddenberry. But the the actual dialogue and the actual script is more talented than he probably was. Yeah. But that's sort of where the the whole war between Ron Mary and Ellison comes from. Because the original teleplay for which Ellison retained enough rights and and God only knows because this is getting way too complicated for what I know is he submitted his original teleplay for Writer's Guild Award and he won. Even though it bears very little resemblance to what actually became the episode. But Roddenberry gave wow. all these talks about how his script won the Nebula, even though it didn't want a Hugo. 
So, so it was it was actually Roddenberry's script that won the Hugo. Well, yeah, except it probably won. He was credited. Yeah, with. yeah. That thing is it probably was. It was probably with Kuhn. It was probably was this woman whose name I can't remember because I'm have have had half a bottle of wine, but there's some of his ideas in it definitely because this whole like space travel in the future and humankind is going to go to the moon and all these amazing things are going to happen is Roddenberry. But the actual dialogue, there's no way it's Roddenberry. Yeah, dialogue's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from ranty McCoy. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to point out quickly the my notes were wrong at the, I must have written this pretty late at night as I tend to do. Um, So the Wikipedia article says it had several writers contribute to the finished product, including Harlan Ellison, Steve W. Karabatsos, and uh, D.C. Fontana. Fontana. Who we know... Yeah, so that was a, a woman. That I'm sorry. I'm. I feel. It kind of looks like. I a, feel so shitty for forgetting her name, especially today of all days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me one second. I'll be right back. You still there, Catherine? You're all good. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to throw in while we're while Miss Lind is um, traveling through dimensions? Uh, well, actually, I I found it interesting that at one point. Spock was talking about um, the fluidity of time and right now in season two of Discovery, we're sort of dealing with the same concepts of time and it's sort of all centering around Spock again. So it's kind of interesting, these links that Discovery is making to the original series. Oh, man, Catherine, you're making me want to watch Discovery so badly. It is good. And I gotta say, okay, okay. First of all, apologies to make who has to add that this episode, but also apologies to anybody who <laughs> this. I originally had a very coherent timeline of stuff I wanted to talk about, but first of all, it's late here, and also wine makes brain problems. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if we need to pick this up again. So I don't know. It just. I, I was re- again like I I was reading the original teleplay. It was originally published in the nineteen seventies in a anthology of short stories where there was an introduction, but at that point Ellis and Ronbury had made up. They were friends. They 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 had made up? Yeah, like they were friends again at yeah, that point. Wow. And it's unclear at least from the book that i read published in the 90s what what the point of contention was there must have been something that happened maybe it was just roddenberry continued to tell the story of him saving the script of this episode but yeah (laughs) like again don't pay for it even though it's only like eight dollars on kindle Allison is enough with a jackass that I say don't pay for it. Only pay, only get it if your <laughs> library has it, or you can get it for free. But it is, yeah, eighty pages of the most vitriolic stuff I've ever read. Not only against Roddenberry, but against Shatner as well. And I say this hating William Shatner. I think William Shatner is a piece of like garbage. But yeah, Allison has this story of. 
because he was really behind schedule of the, I guess, the rewrites of this episode. And Shatner comes to convince him to finish it. And it's it's a story <laughs> of Shatner sitting in Allison's house, literally counting lines to see and being upset by the fact that in the original script, Nimoy had more lines than he did. <laughs> oh. I wonder if that happened. Oh, man. I'll just... Uh, anyone that writes a rant for longer than a few paragraphs, like anyone that can write an 80-page rant, (laughs) has some shit they need to work through. Like, he needs to spend time on the couch. I'm just like, okay, first, like, at first I'm like, okay, Gideon, like, I know Gideon Ray is a piece of shit. I know he's a narcissist. If not in the, like, technical psychological definition of narcissist at least in the colloquial definition of narcissist but i also know that the same is true of harlan ellison so it's really hard to know because ellison is a brilliant writer um repent harlan said the tiktok man if you haven't read it again at least according to Wikipedia, one of the most republished short stories in the English language. For a reason. It is brilliant. He's an amazing writer. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. back 24 hours later we've jumped through the time portal uh sorry i had to bail on everyone i had to leave yesterday to take the kids to family comedy show uh and we're back now to do the meritocracy quiz with Catherine. uh Catherine, have you are you familiar with our quiz uh yes yes i am i can't remember all the questions but yes that's it. I should have. I'm thinking we should have some rotating questions. But anyway, standardized testing for starters. <laughs> um, what job would you choose to do on the enterprise? I've always been attracted to the engineers because I guess I did engineering as my undergraduate degree, and lots of my family members are engineers. So I'm very much into like that engineering mold, I guess. Awesome. Um, are you familiar with dilithium crystals? Did you cover that at university? Unfortunately, no. Oh, that's that would a shame. be useful. <laughs> yeah, that would like actually be useful. Um, no, we. I was in computer systems engineering, and my brother did um, civil engineering, so he might know a little bit more. My dad's in electrical, as is my grandfather yeah so i mean it sounds like if you all work together you could you could build a spaceship on your own (laughs) well my uncle is a structural engineer as well so you know the spire on top of the art center you might know this mick my uncle was the engineer who worked on that oh wow i'm gonna look this up i know i know i always get very excited when i go to visit melbourne because you guys have real architecture <laughs> You're very cultured down there. Here we're sort of upper middle bogans. Oh, we have our pockets. 
Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very Don't... cool. Okay, that spire is really cool looking. Yeah, so they light it up um, different colours at night or in themes. But yeah, it's it's a really beautiful piece of architecture and just simple. But yeah, my um, uncle was an engineer who worked on that, so. Very, very cool. Oh, well, yeah. you guys could definitely build a massive starship and computer engineer yeah. that the Enterprise definitely needs you to stop the computer from going rogue. Oh, that happens every week, though. Yeah, so you'd be busy. You'd be in demand. Job <laughs> <laughs> security. Yeah, it's very yeah. important. That's the future, though. Everybody's got job security, I think. Maybe not. Maybe that's not how meritocracy works. You have to work hard and do a good job. Which alien race would you like to be in the Star Trek universe? I think I've always pitched myself if I was going to be an alien as being a Bajoran. Nice. They've got the really cool earrings. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I just think, yeah, they're, they're kind of cool and um, I know they've been through a lot, but I, I think I like them as a people. You could be like a kick-ass resistance fighter. Yeah. Yeah, resistance fighter like Kira Norris, um, who's really awesome. But a lot of the Bajorans you meet are sort of cool, like Ro Lauren, oh, Kira my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I, I'm not familiar with these characters, so I just said you could be an awesome resistance fighter like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> They're very similar. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. What food would you replicate first? Oh, um, forgotten about this one. I'm a very boring person. I know that after I go away on a trip, the first food I ask my mum for is tuna casserole. Oh, nice. Um, oh, I should go a bit more fancy than that, shouldn't I? Well, you're the engineer so or you're part of the engineering <laughs> crew, so you're probably on board first just and you get to test all this stuff. I'm guessing it works like that. Oh, yeah. I was watching a Deep Space Nine episode the other day and O'Brien was testing the replicators and so he tested it with a um, a coffee, double sweet. Nice. Yeah, I'd definitely hit up a coffee immediately. Yeah, so the Raptor Geno that they are always having on Deep Space Nine, I want to know what that's like. So is is this a food or is that a coffee or a- it's, it's a, some like- sort of coffee esque thing? Klingon coffee is how they say. Sick! I would definitely try that immediately. I love <laughs> trying like you know Turkish coffee or Vietnamese coffee. I like all the exotic coffees. That's awesome. Uh, what would you most like to do in the holodeck? Well, when I've been sort of thinking about this I think my mind goes a bit more like with the Doctor Who where would I go so I thought if I had the dark the TARDIS I'd go to like 1977 and go to Star Wars opening weekend and just see what that is like awesome is this in like man's Chinese theater 
Have I got that right? It would be cool seeing, yeah, it would be cool seeing it there. But, you know, sort of anywhere to see what it was like that first weekend. Oh, okay. So not, not, week or so. not the premiere, but just any, any local opening weekend screening. In a way, to just see what was that crowd reaction like? You know, were there cheers? You know, were there gasps? But, but yes, I'd use the holodeck to do really nerdy things. (laughs) Really nerdy things, like go to movie premieres and, um, and play Star Wars games or, or do something like that. Oh, sick. (laughs) (laughs) So you're using your Star Trek holodeck to do, Heaps of Star Wars stuff. Yeah, why not? Do the castle run. <laughs> I'm sure there's Star Wars fans in the Trek universe. Yeah. I mean, if you can have freaking Data being Sherlock Holmes, then you can go have some Star Wars adventures. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. I'd ride that giant tick thing on, um, can't even think of the planet now, Padme's planet. On oh, Naboo. Naboo, man, I need to watch more Star Wars. I've been deliberately sort of cutting myself off from Star Wars until a bit closer to Episode Nine at the end of the year and then I'm going to have a marathon. Okay, Catherine, I have an extra question for you. And this is normally yep. Sweet. This is not one we always ask, mostly because sometimes we have people on with far less Star Trek awareness. But which... Which ship or station or whatever would you most like to serve on oh see that's so hard to choose from deep space nine has the best people i think you'd have a lot of fun with those people yeah like voyager you get to see lots of stuff and janeway would would blow up a lot of things and violate the prime <laughs> directive left, right, and centre to save you. Um, I'm liking Discovery at the moment. I think mean, it's new, but I like the people on there as well. Oh, Enterprise D. Yeah, Enterprise D, mate, probably. So Enterprise D, that's with Picard? Yes, that's with Picard. Cool. Okay. So I get confused because the Enterprise got destroyed so many times in the movies. But is that is that like the Enterprise D, the original one from the series? Yeah, that's the original one from the series. They then had yeah. the Enterprise E. Um, original series, there was original Enterprise, then there was Enterprise A, and they – did they destroy A? Can't remember. I do remember there was an Enterprise C that we saw briefly in a um, Next Generation episode. That was a cool episode where um, oh, there was uh, yeah. alternative you, Yesterday's Enterprise. Timelines. Yes, Yesterday's Enterprise, where they're in an alternative timeline and Tasha Yar was still alive and so she yeah. then goes across to the Enterprise C to change the timelines. God, so much time travel in these episodes and to get the timeline back onto the correct course and that's how we can then 
end up with the Romulan Tasha Yar person. She was so much, I reckon she was so much better when she came back too. Oh, yeah, she was. Like, she just, yeah, originally the, the way she played the character just played it so straight and it was kind of boring. But those, yeah, those guest appearances, she, she really just sort of fit into the role. Well, the, the first um, season, a lot of them didn't quite know how to play it. They were playing it big in a way or uh, it wasn't quite right. But by about the third yeah. season, they they got it right. Yeah. It's a pity she just didn't get that time to ease into it before yeah. the the oozing tar monster swallowed her <laughs> up or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Very cool. Any other bonus questions? Mm, I don't think so. That was my main one. This is my notes from when I was going to interview Greg Fleet, but the timing didn't oh, work have- out. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> interview <laughs> Catherine with Greg Fleet. Um, so you've got a new play coming out, This Is Not A Love Song, <laughs> with Jasmine Fairbairn and Clayton Story. Uh, when does that open at the Adelaide Fringe? They've won heaps of awards for that, so that's exciting. Well done, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So why did you kill Daphne on Neighbours? (laughs) Well, why wouldn't you? (laughs) I I don't even know who Daphne is. I'm know i sure I've seen clips of this at some point and I know get... She was was married to Des Mm -hmm. and she and Des were like... Not quite foster parents, but they um, looked after Mike Young, who was, of course, played by Guy Pearce. Oh, wow. Um, oh, you, you've entered the wheelhouse, which is 1987 to 1991 Neighbours. Oh, nice. So was Greg just a, was he just a random dodgy killer guy or did he play a normal character that snapped? No, he was just a... He hit her with a car, right? Yeah. He also threatened someone with a brick. Um, (laughs) Shit. (laughs) And, and, you know, there was big dramas because it went to court trying to get him prosecuted for murder and, yeah, it was all big dramas. She'd had a baby not long before that and so Des was left with the baby and her dying words in hospital were, I love you, Des, and then she flatlined. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brutal. Flutie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's so good. That um, I love that play. It was awesome. If, you, if, if they end up taking This Is Not A Love Song to Melbourne, I highly recommend it. Okay. It's very, very good. Damn players making me feel emotions. <laughs> How dare they? Uh, awesome. Any, anything else you want to add, Catherine? I want to add that I know it's a pain for Americans to see Star Trek Discovery, but for the rest of the world, you should be watching Star Trek Discovery on Netflix. It is really good. I don't know if it should be set quite so close to the original series but they are really making a lot of links in there and actually having you know watched the first season and going through re-watching the whole of the original season is actually bringing a lot of depth to Star Trek Discovery 
so yeah i it's it's sort of amazing the the connections that they are making and i'm really interested to see how it where it goes to because yeah they're doing a great yeah, job yeah because they are starting in this second season working quite a bit with time and with spock and you know that he mentions in the episode in this episode that time is fluid not linear hmm. and that sort of idea is coming up again in discovery which is set 10 years prior to that so you sort of wonder how deep a dive did the writers of Discovery do to really flesh out Spock's, the way Spock thinks. It's, yeah, it's in, intriguing. Mm, fascinating. And, and of course, Captain Christopher Pike. Yes, I'm really liking get... Pike, actually. Yeah, that's good to see an episode that he doesn't, it's not like the movie where he dies halfway through the first movie. <laughs> No, I'm liking Pike. We got one quick scene with Number One, played by um, Rebecca Romaine. Oh. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and she was great. I mean, it was just a couple of minutes, but she came on, you're like, yes, that's Number One, and she was great from the start. So, yeah, I really like their reimagining or imagining of characters like Pike how they've put them into the series. So I'm enjoying Discovery. And, oh, Catherine, yeah, the first time we had you on, Catherine, you, that was before you started that geek pod with Andy. Yeah, yeah. So we've um, started podcasts where we could just talk about everything in general um, and we've, we've had a, a bit of a break but we're, we're back pretty much now and... Yeah, so some of our recent episodes have been about the X-Files. We've recorded a um, Captain Marvel reaction pod, which should be up by the time this oh, is God. out. And yes, yes. And we nice. have, in the lead up to uh, Avengers or Ant-Man, we did this whole retrospective of the um, all the phases of the Marvel movies. So that was about three podcasts and that, just about killed us <laughs> to go through trying to remember all 18, 19 movies at that stage. So we, we might have made mistakes. I may have thought um, Scarlett Johansson turned up in earlier in Iron Man movies than what she did, but anyway, <laughs> you get confused. There's too many movies. No, you're doing well. You know what, That's you, you guys are definitely how I catch up on all my Marvel stuff and everything else. I think all those movies started to drop. It seemed to be after we started having kids and lost all contact with the world and pop culture. So, <laughs> so thank you very much for helping me get filled in on the gaps. Oh, more than welcome. Sorry to spoil. I'm almost caught up. Yeah, I've just got to get out and see Captain Marvel. So I'll do that and then I'll listen to your recap. Yeah, you, you yeah, have to. So exciting. You have so to. So exciting. Hopefully someone will shout me dinner. <laughs> <laughs> How can we follow you on social media? So you can follow the podcast at That Geek Pod on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Catherine underscore Neen. 
yes, I had to have the underscore. That was the only way. That's Neen with a K. Neen with a K, like Jedi Knight. Nice. You might see me pop up on uh, Star Wars Spelt Out occasionally, uh, a Star Wars podcast, and I also co-host a monthly um, Star Wars podcast called Star Talking. It's by the um, Melbourne, well, the Australian Star Wars fan club, Star Walking. So um, look for that as well, me being the voice of optimism. (laughs) (laughs) They're a cool group of people. They're... um... If you're in Australia and you're in the um, Star Wars, definitely recommend joining Star Walking. Even if you're like me and you're nowhere near Sydney and Melbourne, so you can't get to the events, it's worth it just to go to the premiere once a year. Yeah, it's like 10 bucks a year. Actually, that's so. important. Where, where are you seeing Episode 9 this year? Well, I would guess at the midnight premiere with all my Melbourne Star Wars friends. Excellent. I'm coming. I'm gate crashing. Awesome. It's not really gate crashing. I've been there for everyone except for (laughs) Solo because that was, I mean, two two a year starting to get a bit much. I didn't make it to Solo either. We went on the Thursday night. It was, you know, it was just the Solo release. I mean, we've gone into it. It was just released at the wrong time of year for a lot of people and it just made life more difficult and I've only seen it I've still only seen it twice even though I own it on digital Um, yeah so they just released it at the wrong time of year for everyone I think yeah yeah I think so and it just got a bit drowned marketing wise but uh, yeah oh well it'll be interesting to see what they do when they finish up the trilogy that's exciting. Uh, Emily Lind, how can we follow you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at EF Lind. You can also find my Star Wars podcast, uh, The Canterbite Dispatch, and we are on Twitter at Canterbite Pod. Wonderful. And you guys get to meet up at Celebration in a month's time. Yeah, it'll be the first time yes. that my, my co-host and I are meeting. Wow, that's exciting. That's so exciting. Oh, man, have fun, guys. I'm, I'm a bit jealous. Have fun. Um, of course, you can follow us. We're at He's Dead Jim Pod on your favorite socials and shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, particularly if you've got any tips uh, about which animated series apps to watch or anything you'd like to chime in with. Email us, he's dead Jim Pod at gmail.com. And uh, do you know our sign off, Catherine? Vaguely. <laughs> yeah, that's how also how we know it. <laughs> Do, can I remember it? <laughs> Until next time, keep, keep the, the Star, Star Trek alive. alive. Nailed it. <laughs>